Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to preface my homily with a prayer. It comes out of the prayer book, if you will, if you want to. Um, I'm going to use prayer number four. 44, which is on page 651 in the prayer book. And it's called, In Times of Social Conflict or Distress. And I thought it was appropriate for today in our culture to pray this particular prayer. So, let us pray. Increase, O God, the spirit of neighborliness among us, that in peril we may uphold one another, in suffering tend to one another, and in homelessness, loneliness, or exile befriend one another. Grant us brave and enduring hearts that we may strengthen one another until the disciples and testing of these days the disciplines and testing of these days are ended. And you again give peace in our time through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So I would ask you also to uh, keep, your, keep your prayer books open and turn to page 717. 717, the red prayer book. 717. So, you'll see halfway down the page it says lectionary. And uh, then it has four columns. Day, year A, year B, year C. Listen, I'm not being condescending. I'm, you'll see what I'm doing here in just a second. So if you go down to the day, the second uh, line which is the second Sunday of Advent. That's today. Second Sunday of Advent. This is not Christmas. The culture is celebrating Christmas in advance. That's okay. But this is Advent. This is the preparation for the second coming. The first coming is Christmas Day. So if you move over under year B, you'll see written there, printed there, the readings we just heard. Isaiah 41 through 11, Psalm 85, 2 Peter verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 18, and Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Well, the reason I'm asking you to look at this is that I'm going to change that order. You know, God created the universe out of chaos and put it in order. And as a liturgical church, we should be praying and worshiping God in order, in a proper order established by Him. So that's what we're doing. But for purposes of a homily, I'm going to switch things around a little bit. Is that okay? It should be. It better be. <laughs> so I'm going to take Isaiah 40. Isn't Isaiah 40 wonderful? Yeah. That's first 11 verses. I mean, Handel's Messiah Part of that is, is just this. You can hear it. If you ever heard it before, comfort you. I'm not going to sing. 
The bishop could sing, but I'm not going to sing. There you go. And I learned that um, Handel had a, uh, a patron, basically, a very wealthy Englishman, uh, Charles Jennings. Charles Jennings is the one who took the uh, King James Bible and selected the verses and put it in the order that Handel would write his oratorio. I didn't know that until I was researching today because today the Bible readings are just splendid. They're just splendid. So when you look at, uh, at Isaiah 40, you can see what's going on there as far as God and his people. Now, I know it's in the Bible, I have to do large print. So in that first part, I just want to let you know, there's so much symbolism, similes, metaphorical, it's, it's gorgeous. So right at the beginning on those first uh, five verses, uh, a lot of symbolism in there, and it is a promise. It is remembering a promise to God that God will save his people. And so this is uh, in celebration of coming out or about to come out from exile. Then the second part, what I call the second part, verses 6 through 8, uh, that's when God is saying um, what your relationship is to me. Say, I am forever, okay? And that uh, you will pass away. The earth will pass away. Everything will pass away except me. Know who I am. Now I'm summarizing a lot because I need to do this to get the, the actual homily. Well, this is the homily. The greatness of God uh, from 9 through 11, through the end of it, is showing who God is, okay? And how God should be honored and how he loves Jerusalem. So let's, uh, let's look a little bit uh, at uh, Isaiah and Mark. Don't they almost sound alike? What Mark is doing is taking what Isaiah said and giving it, 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 explaining the future, the promise that was given from the beginning. He's showing the future, and the future is Christ, okay? And John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, is the one who is going to tell us about that. He's going to lead the way. And so it is an extension, if you will, of the Old Testament promise. Now we know who's coming. The Christ, who John the Baptist says, sandals, he could not untie. So, near the end, he will say things like, I have, that John the Baptist is baptized us with water, but he, uh, uh, Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. That, to me, points to Pentecost. So, the Pentecost is the creation of the church. Another aspect of godly order. So you had ancient Israel, Judah being the remaining one, and then Christ. Christ being the fulfillment of Judah. When you think about it, this long suffering travail of the Jewish people, days in the wilderness, you know, it is found in its fulfillment in Jesus. So during, the t during that time, all you had were Jews and pagans. So all of our ancestors, assuming we have no Jewish blood, were pagans. So Jesus took the Jewish message in himself to the rest of the world. 
So that's a, in one sense, that's a Jewish message going out. Everything that happened there, all the teachings, everything that they were taught by God and the prophets was extended, enhanced, and fulfilled in the person of Jesus. The psalm is gorgeous. And the best verse in Psalm is verse 10. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. What a promise that is. According to the psalm, it's already happened. Because God created everything. And the psalmist, the poet who wrote the psalm, knew this, understood this. And all of this was about the second coming. So let's now get into 2 Peter, which is a, a marvelous uh, reading. Now, if you allow, I'm going to uh, do an exposition on all of 2 Peter chapter 3. It's not long. If you want to follow it, it's on page 957 in the Pew Bible. So this is a letter written by Peter. Or is it? So when I'm studying these things, a lot of questions came up. Had to, had to answer them. But let's start out. Some of the versions of the Bible say Simeon Peter. Some of them say Simon Peter. But that, that doesn't matter. What matters is that he was a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith equal of equal standing with ours to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, meaning himself and whoever is with him, and I'll tell you who that is, by the righteousness of our God and Savior. Equal standing. In other words, Peter had the faith. And he's writing to people who, at least initially, when you read the whole history here, had the faith. They're of equal standing. Didn't mean anybody was above or below. It had nothing to do with social standing. It had to do with faith. Not faithfulness. Faith. Because faithfulness is a virtue which is subordinate to faith. So what Peter is doing in, in here is, is trying to explain the faith that they all have and the ethics that go with it. Faith first than the ethics. Verse 3, As divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and goodness through the knowledge of Him who called us, who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He is granted to us by His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Can you see into the future by that statement? So you can be partakers. When are you going, when's that going to happen? Well, not, not right now. But something else has to happen right now. So the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of our sinful desires. I don't think anybody would argue with me that the world is, is, is not corrupt. There's corruption all over the place. You have to go back to Genesis. We know why things are corrupt. And the reason I use that prayer at the beginning was that if we have any anxieties about how we're living today and how the world around us is acting, we've got to understand who we are. 
We're the church. We're what came at Pentecost. We're the extension of that through 2,000 years. And so there are responsibilities with being the church. Individually and communally. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Okay, supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. We've got to love ourselves communally. So the church could not exist without people called by God. And yes, we can be Christian individually. We have to be. But we have to practice our faith communally. We're not seen so much in the world without being in communion where others can see it. That's one way of witnessing. It's not the only way, but it's the primary way. Or why did God create the church in the first place? So we're trying to continue that. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're getting some instruction here. How should we live? It's right in there. Uh, I didn't do it today. I meant to. But every time I start a service, I ask the question, how should we live? I mean, every preacher should. That's it. That's, it. that's what the Bible does. The Bible is teaching us how we live. And we need to understand the Bible from the Old Testament right through the New Testament. Everything is there. Everything is there. So, what's the problem? Why is, why is, why is uh, Peter telling us all this stuff? Let's go down to verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we didn't make it up. It's not a devised myth. But we were eyewitnesses at His Majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice borne to Him by His majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves, meaning Peter and the other disciples, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the mountain, meaning the transfiguration. Peter was there. Peter was an eyewitness. Peter was not an imposter of the gospel. So he's challenging imposters. He's actually challenging people in the church who are taking some of the things that Paul said and twisting it. In other words... Once you're saved, you, you can do anything you want. Well, it doesn't work that way. We just told how we should live. So he is establishing himself in this letter, which with this sentence and the next, makes a change. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do to pay attention as to a lamp sitting uh, shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning rises in your hearts, knowing the first 
of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We read about the Holy Spirit in the Catechism. Carried along by the Holy Spirit. And those prophets were in the Old Testament, not the New. The problem is, the reason he's writing, this letter has been transformed now from a letter into a testament. So, uh, literary, literary wise, it's, there are two genres. There's the letter, and then there is the testament. He's establishing himself in this letter. Why? Because he's going to die. He's not an old man, but he's going to die. Or I should say, he's going to be martyred shortly. And he knows it. He's in a prison. And he probably didn't write this letter. He probably dictated this letter to an amanuensis. And it was probably Silvanus or Silas. So here's a man knowing he's going to die. There are situations like that today where you know you're going to die and, it, and it's not your time. But this is, the, this is what's going on here with uh, Peter. So that is a big problem. He's trying to teach the church. He's trying to teach the church how you need to live and then how you need to teach. So you can't teach right unless you live right. Now, this is not the works uh, in the sense that, that uh, we have these uh, ongoing arguments since the Reformation. But this is something that everyone needs, needs to be aware of, that your life matters. What you do matters, not only to you, but to other people. And particularly if you're a Christian and you're going to be out in the world. And we all, we all are out in the world. And so we're watched and if they know we're Christian, they're going to watch even closer. Because I can tell you today, Jews and Christians are at the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, with a modern culture. And what happened with Peter was that those naysayers, or doubters, I should say, they were bold and willful. They didn't care. Are there any like that today who do things that you know they shouldn't do? Are they bold and willful in your face? There are a lot of them. There are too many of them. But that's what's going on. Well, how, how do we react? Peter just told us. We need, to be, we need to be steadfast in our love of one another. And we need to live as best we can a righteous life. So we finally get to chapter, uh, chapter 3 of 2 Peter. Now, I'm not going to start at 8 where we heard the reading. And I'm doing all this so that the reading, I'm hoping, gets a, a full, full understanding. But uh, verse 1, chapter 3. Now this is how, the sec this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets, one, and commandments of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through your apostles. Another plea, if you will, or statement of you've been taught. 
the holy prophets of the Old Testament have told us what was going to happen. And the commandments of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through his apostles. Well, his apostles were there when the church was created. So it's saying, listen to me. Listen to me. There's something wrong in the church. Knowing all of this, that scoffers, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? So that's what we're getting to today. Sorry I'm taking such a long time getting to it. But we're talking about the second coming of Christ. Back then, before Peter died, he had scoffers. Well, we've been waiting. When's it, when's it going to happen? We've been waiting, waiting, waiting. Some have been trying to hasten it, trying to move it along. And some just leave. Or some decide they want to change the teaching of the church. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, this is our argument, the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as, as from the beginning of creation. Oh, really? For they deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these that would be that we would were deluged with water and perish. By the same word, the heavens and the earth now exist are, stored, are going to be destroyed up with fire. This is the perusia, or the second coming. You know, you, you've heard of, you know, so he's, given, he's giving a warning here. And uh, in verse 8, but he's saying to them, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord one day to is to the Lord one day is at a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Well, we can't say that about ourselves. We're living in Chronos time. One day at a time, one minute at a time. When is it coming? I mean, I, th I think Peter had a sense of humor here as we go along. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not waiting, not wishing that any should perish, but that in all should reach repentance. Okay? That sounds good, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will burn. And be dissolved. And the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of the heavens will be set on fire and dissolve, and the heavenly bodies will be melt as they burn. So this is his description. This is a description of how things will end. We don't know if it's going to end that way or not. But even though it's taken this long, well, how long? Well, okay, in the meantime, I'll just live any way I want to, and then I'll have time to repent. Oh, well, no. It's going to come like a thief in the night. Fourteen. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish 
and at peace. If we know the Word of God, if we study the Word of God, if we live the Word of God, and we understand how the world operates, we should be at peace with ourselves and with our fellow man, but particularly in the church. So we need to encourage one another as we live. No high anxiety. It'll come, but there's ways of handling that. And this is great. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. The patience of our Lord as salvation. God is waiting. How long did He wait for Israel? That's a long time. I mean, 40 of those years were in the desert. He had to teach them. He had to train them. You know? So count the patience of the Lord as our salvation, just as our brother, beloved brother Paul also wrote. Uh, this is where I think he's got a sense of humor. So the, Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all of his letters, he speaks to them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. See, Peter, Peter knew all of Paul's letters. The scholars say, the biblical scholars say, at this, at this time, Paul's letters had been circulating. But according to Peter, they're kind of difficult. There's a contrast here. Think of Peter. He was a fisherman. He was a rugged fisherman. You've never seen a dainty fisherman. A fisherman is a rugged kind of guy. And, you know, it could be like the deadliest catch we see on TV, or it could be some, even a longshoreman. You know, they're rough guys. That was Peter. Jesus called him, come to me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. So maybe Peter's education wasn't like the rabbi Paul. Paul was highly educated. Peter learned a lot from Paul. They fought. We know about that in the early days when Paul presented himself. So I say all of this just so that we can understand how we need to live how we need to live in anticipation of the second coming, knowing that we don't know when that'll be. So all lives matter in this case. And we should be living in such a way that others would take notice, not because of us, but because we're allowing God to live in us. God is not forcing himself on us. That's why our bodies, by Paul, he says, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We have to let God live in us, which means we need to know the Scriptures. We need to worship God, not just by our private prayers, but as an assembly, an ecclesia, the church, at least every Sunday. I'm going to close with another prayer from the occasional prayers in the prayer book. 118, which is on page 681. It's the prayer for the mission of the church. Almighty God, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to reconcile the world to yourself. We praise and bless you for those whom you have sent in the power of the Spirit to preach the gospel to all nations. We thank you that in all parts of the earth 
a community of love has been gathered together by their prayers and labors, and that in every place your servants call upon your name. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever and ever. Amen. In the name of God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast for this week. We're expanding our ministries at Church of the Good Shepherd and expanding our space as well in order to better accommodate our growing church family and also to minister to our children. If you feel led to give, please feel free to text the word SHARE to 1-888-364-GIVE. Or additionally, visit us at www.goodshepherdacna.com and go over to the menu item listed Donate to donate online. We appreciate any help that you can give, and we hope to see you soon. Come visit us on Sundays at 9 a.m. for Bible study and at 10.30 a.m. for Sunday worship. God bless.